Now, I'm going to invite you to go, if you will, to 2 Samuel 9. Now, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, uh, what we determined was, you know, sometimes I'll try to find the book of Hosea or something, and I just can't find it. It's okay to look at the table of contents. So if you're not looking at, your, at the Bible on your phone, uh, where you can just kind of dial it all in, so not 1 Samuel, but 2 Samuel. But I'm going to talk you through a little bit of this in a bit. Now, whether it's politics or the pandemic or sports, I think you'd have to agree that we've lost the sense of human kindness between one another. I, I read stories about... Men and women who were great friends on opposite sides of every issue in Washington, on opposite sides of the aisle, and yet they maintained friendship and maintained kindness. We've lost that somehow, haven't we? In, those, in these days, the Bible, I think it's good that we study a story from the Bible that tells us a story about kindness that would be good for us to emulate. So that's the story in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, Rhonda, you can probably leave if you want to because you kept asking me questions. You probably know everything I'm going to say already today. Um, okay, so let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, and you're, you're going to have to kind of fasten your seatbelt because this is an area, this is a, a, a portion of the scriptures that, that my girl and I both love. And so we read it a lot. And it's kind of second nature to me. So push me if I've, if I've kind of wrangled around something and haven't quite covered. But let me give you several things as far as background. Um, first and second Samuel are part of the historical part of the Bible. That's going to cover uh, the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua, down through Esther. Uh, and they, by the way, most of the, they're mostly arranged chronologically in, in there. Um, uh, and they're going to record the transition, especially in this story, the transition between being a nation governed by God, a theocracy, which is what God and Moses wanted, to one uh, being um, uh, led by an earthly king. Samuel was the pivotal figure, so the one uh, after whom these two books are named. Samuel was the pivotal figure in this period of time. He would, you could say he was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And uh, you can read a lot about him even in the New Testament. So Samuel was deeply respected. He was a watershed figure in the history of the nation of Israel between kind of the settlement of the land and the, the judges that came um, uh, during that time and then uh, the time of the kings. Um, but the Israelites realized that his sons were nothing like him. And they cried out for something better. All right. Well, I could make political comments right there that I won't make. They cried out for something better because uh, as good and godly and strong as Samuel was, his two sons were all the opposites of those things. And so 
They cried out for a king. They wanted a king uh, to be like those around them. And um, so the Lord gave them a king. The first king was King Saul. And, um, but Saul didn't faithfully carry out the Lord's command. And it didn't take very long before Samuel had said, you know what? The kingdom is going to be taken from your hands and given to a rival. And he anoints, actually, while Saul is still king, Samuel anoints David to be the next king. Now, that's interesting. We're talking about a long, long uh, lame duck process. That's kind of what they had for a while. Um, Saul knew that David was chosen to succeed him, and they became friends for a while. Uh, David faithfully served the king, and then Saul got paranoid and became murderous And uh, uh, because David's renown was better than his own. So, but in spite of that funny relationship between a king-elect and a king, David became best friends, brothers, blood brothers, dear friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, his oldest son. Uh, We'll read about that a little bit today. Their friendship resulted in a covenant that obligated both parties. Now, we've been talking about a covenant. A covenant usually exists between a person of higher rank toward a person of lower rank. And in this case, you had David who was, was a captain in the army and Jonathan was the prince. Okay, so you kind of see that. It was kind of unequal, and yet they made this um, wonderful covenant with each other. Now, material in, uh, material in 1st and 2nd Samuel is sometimes arranged thematically instead of chronologically. So sometimes it's kind of hard to follow. We're going to deal with a little bit of that today. Um, uh, Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle. That's the last chapter of 1st Samuel. Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle. David grieves for them. Then he's appointed king over the southern part of the kingdom. The northern kind of took a little, much, little bit longer to come along. They actually appointed Ishbosheth, who was um, um, so one of Saul's sons, to be king over the north, kind of over, over that area. Um, Saul himself was a Benjamite, as was obviously Ishbosheth. And so, in a funny part of the story, not a funny part of the story, in a kind of intriguing part of the story, um, David allows, I'm going to say, his rivals to be killed. That's going to come later in, in the book. Uh, we'll deal with that a little bit. That's chapter 21 or so. Um, uh, they were killed at the hands of another. But some, in, in some ways, we wonder if that might have happened earlier in the story, but it gets put later in David's story because it's kind of in the chapters that deal with some of uh, David's fallibility. We don't know. But so what we're going to deal with today um, deals with 15 to 20 years after David began his reign in about 1010 B.C., um, uh, Saul and Jonathan had been dead for a long time. Another of Saul's sons, who I mentioned, Ishbosheth, ruled in the northern tribes until his own death. Uh, and then David begins to rule over all of Israel. Um, some of those tribes had shown their preference for a descendant of Saul before they allied and, uh, and, and spoke their allegiance to David. And you and I know that in those days, it was often appropriate for a king to murder his rivals, you know, murder the uh, descendants of the last king, 
to, to make sure to protect his throne. Now, think about all those things as we begin this study today. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 9. John, can I get you to read the first four verses of 9? Uh, if there's a name in there that you don't want to pronounce, just use the first letter. I, don't, I think we're okay with the first four verses. David asked, Is there anyone still of the, left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. He called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. Okay, we're going to do a little map work here. I didn't bring a map, but I'll kind of help you find that in just a little bit. Now, David had been true to his vow to Jonathan and to Saul. That uh, He makes a vow. Um, at some point, uh, Saul in his paranoia says, um, take care of my family. And he, for the most part, did. Uh, he certainly stuck with that till, till toward the end of his life, we believe. Um, uh, but here in verse 1, he's calling for, um, calling for, is there anybody left in Saul's family? Now, this could be one of three things, all right? This could be, you know, that old adage, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, this could be one of those deals where he wants to know where his enemies are. Because there have been some. Ishbosheth was one of them. He's now gone. But, um, and, and so, um, uh, to protect his throne, it may have been that he was wanting to keep his enemies close. It may have been that he was trying to score political points with those who had followed Ishbosheth, uh, kind of the northern tribes uh, and the eastern tribes, with. Um, um, with, with those, the supporters of Ishbosheth, it may have been, um, um, it may have been that that um, David's thinking, okay, I need to score some political points with them. If you read chapter four, it's interesting to me um, thinking about what is David's relationship with Ishbosheth since they're kind of rivals. But if you read about chapter four, somebody uh, they murder Ishbosheth and come to David thinking they'll get a high five. And the guy loses his head. What do you mean coming in here like you've done a really cool thing in murdering Ishbosheth? Take off his head. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we talked about this this morning. David was a fierce guy. You know, I read, I've been reading through the book of Psalms the last couple of months in my quiet time. And there's such sweetness there so much of the time. But I've... Dare not forget that he was a fierce warrior. Okay, so it could be that he was keeping his enemies close. It could be that he was trying to score political points. Or it could be, and I think this is it, that he could be trying to um, return an earlier kindness. Now go with me to the left to 1 Samuel 20. I want to read just a couple of verses from 1 Samuel 20. When Jonathan was still alive, this is the kind of the nature of their covenant together. I'm going to begin in verse 15. You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. 
Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. That's Jonathan speaking. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him. Because he loved him as he loved his own life. So David is, uh, when things have settled down, he begins to think, Is there somebody from Jonathan's line that I can just be kind to? And so he... Uh, calls out to a servant um, to, to find that, to his servants, to find out about that. Now in verse 2, there was a servant from the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they summoned him and he came before the king. Now I think, I think, and I'll, I'll try to make a case with this. I think that Ziba, our man Ziba, had become pretty wealthy in the absence of his boss. Saul, okay? Go with me to chapter 16. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 uh, summer fruits, and a jug of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why do you have these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat. In, in, um, in the 10th verse of this chapter that we're, we're studying, um, Ziba's got 20 servants. My guess is he was a servant. King Saul dies, and now he's got servants. It sounds to me like he made out okay in that exchange. I'll make more of a case of this later. And at the time, we're going to talk about this thing that happens over in, in chapter 16. Um, um, he had all this produce that he could give David at that time. So, uh, interesting. Um, he had the resources. Sounds like he had the servants. Uh, he must have become wealthy in managing the former king's estate. So, in verse 3, David I think it's critical how verse 3 is worded. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show? Notice he doesn't end with kindness. The kindness of God. David desires to show God's kindness here. Um, uh, now, notice here, that when um, the servant identifies in verse 3, um, when he identifies that whom we'll know in a little bit is named Mephibosheth. Good luck pronouncing that. I already stumbled over it once. In my notes, I just put M, you know, Mephibosheth. When he mentions him here, he doesn't even mention his name. He just says, there is a son, but he's damaged. Catch that? He's damaged. What's his damage? Uh, literally, when they're running from the palace, uh, whoever was taking care of him, probably a nurse, dropped him. His feet were damaged, broken or something. And he still got that as an adult. It's interesting, as he's identified here by Ziba, he's not even identified by name. He just said, eh, he's lame. He's damaged. Now, I want to catch something here really quickly. Because maybe you've dealt with this in your past with others around you. Or maybe you've been guilty of it. So, either way, um, you don't have to raise your hand. That's okay. 
Okay. Yep. When you do something kind, who gets the credit? You do. Who did David want to get the credit for kindness here? God. Isn't it interesting? Um, Even in uh, Dan, I I think you're right. And it's really easy for me to take the credit instead of giving it where it's due. Um, um, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then do what? Pat you on the back, right? No. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. By the way, that is in red. I probably ought to consider it. Huh? So the, my question is, does God get the credit for your kindnesses? He always should. I'm going to make that case at the end of, the, at the end of our time together. But hang on to that thought for just a minute. David desires to show God's kindness. Now, where was Mephibosheth? Well, um, if you want to go to a uh, uh, map in the back of your Bible, uh, I, don't, I don't bring maps to class with me. Terry's got all those. I don't want to steal his shtick for one thing. Um, he was in a place called Lodabar. Okay? I, I love any place that's got a hyphen. Lodabar, low hyphen to bar. Okay, so Lodabar is east, way east, on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay, it's in Gad. Okay, by the way, I don't know where the expression Egad came from. Maybe it has something to do with this. I don't know. You know, Egad. Okay, uh, but he's he's living in Gad. He couldn't be farther from Jerusalem, probably. And to a certain degree, he's in, um, he's in um, uh, Gilead, and there are two Gileads over there. He's in one of the Gileads, the one that's farthest east and farthest north uh, in Gad. Um, in, um, but it's interesting here where he, where he settles. So go to 2.8, and it's interesting where he settles. So this is Jonathan's son. But Abner, that's, uh, that's Saul's general, interesting study Abner is, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manahim. That is where now we find, right near there, is where Mephibosheth is. And I believe he's hiding out. Okay, so you can put that in your blank. King Saul's heir, we think at least at this point, was hiding out. Real near Ishbosheth's former capital. Okay? Figures, uh, these are my cousins over here. These are, uh, they're kind of northerners, not southerners. Um, they're going to take care of me. Um, maybe if I can just hide out over here, maybe the king won't find me. But he doesn't know what's going on at the first part of this chapter, that David has called a servant. They found his servant, Ziba, and said, hey, anybody left from Jonathan's line? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a kid over on the other side of the Jordan. Um, uh, he's lame both feet. 
Okay. Now let's read on. John, can I come back to you and have you read 5 down through 12? So King, King David, had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mephir, son of Levi. From Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now, by the way, John had to pronounce a lot of names in there. Thank you. And he pronounced Mephibosheth five times by my count. Thank you, John. You did a commendable job. Really good job. Now, notice that I want you to live in verse 5 for just a minute where we started there. Um, Our friend Mephibosheth is ushered into the king's presence, and he does what Ziba had done in uh, verse 2 and verse 3. He bows immediately. He honors the king. Now, you should do that in the presence of a king. Um, Ziba had done that same thing in verse 2. But remember, I think part of this is what's going on in Ziba's head in verse 5. David was powerful, and he had been and still was really fierce. And Mephibosheth doesn't know what he's being called in the king's chambers for. Okay? Hang on to that for a minute. So he honors the king. In context, what do you think Mephibosheth anticipated would happen? Isn't it interesting that David's first words to our um, to the son of his best friend, to whom he had made a pledge, his first words to Mephibosheth were, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." Now, it makes me wonder that if Mephibosheth wondered if this was not him ushering into the king's, being ushered into the king's chambers, was not just a ruse to flush him out of hiding so that he could do away with him. I think that may have been what was going on in Mephibosheth's head in verse 5. Can you imagine? He's hiding out in Lodabar. And some guy on a, maybe a chariot or a horse or on a donkey or whatever shows up in his courtyard and says, um, 
the king needs to see you. Uh, king who? King David. <sighs> I, I think. I think. And so that whole trip, which would have taken a while, from the east side of the Jordan to the west side of the Jordan and then south to Jerusalem, that whole trip, don't you know Mephibosheth is writing his last will and testament? What is going to happen to me when I get to Jerusalem? And so that's the context here. But in verse 9, there is a subject for our day here. And here's what I want to park here for just a minute. David executed not just kindness, but he, he executed something that we hear about in our newspapers today. He executed what you and I today would call restorative justice. Uh, maybe you read about that in context of um, um, African Americans who, who are now living in this country and, and what might be done for them to, to, to give justice. Uh, certainly mentioned in, in our state and in, in our part of the world uh, where Native Americans are concerned. Restorative justice. David offers this young man restorative justice. Look at 12.8. So just turn one leaf over to the right. I also gave you your master's house, master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. By the way, what's being talked about here is this is Nathan. This is a bad chapter in David's life. But Nathan is saying that David has all of Saul's former property. I gave you, I gave you David, your master's house. This is God talking to David. Your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. So the idea is, just in context here, you get the, the picture that David now is in ownership of all of Saul's former assets. Land, whatever he's got left. And David says in 12, in, in, uh, 9-9 nine, nine here to Mephibosheth, it's all yours. And he, um, he names Ziba as a steward over that. And I believe, and I'm going to make a case for it here in a bit, I believe that Ziba had already taken advantage of the house of Saul. And I really believe that Ziba continued to take advantage of Mephibosheth. He was not a good guy, although all of his lip service is going to sound really the, like the right thing, okay? Because he says here, um, uh, he calls Ziba then and says, you're going to take care of uh, Mephibosheth's land and provide for your own family and his family. His land, verse 10, would provide for the family and for Ziba's family, and uh, so Ziba becomes a steward for Mephibosheth. Got to stop there for just a second. When you open your checkbook, do you recognize who owns that? When I'm trying to repair something at home and I'm whining a little bit like I was yesterday about how dead everything looks? Am I realizing that 
I'm a steward of that, that God really owns my home. Ziba lost track of who really owned what he was taking care of. You know? And he's going to be called out for it eventually. So, I'm going to ask a question here. Did Ziba keep his promise? He makes a vow in 10. Um, makes a vow in 10. He says, You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce, so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Beautiful part of that. Ziba uh, had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said... In verse 11, according to all that my Lord the king commands his servants, your servant will do. Oh, yeah. Now, I want you to go with me to chapter 15. We've got to mine this a little bit to see what kind of a guy Zebo really was. Okay? The, the context is he had made a vow to steward Mephibosheth's property, which had been his grandfather Saul's property. If, if Jonathan had lived, it would have been his property. He had made a vow. Now, you got to catch the action. I'm going I'm to take us to the very end of 15. Absalom, David's son, is mounting a coup. He's at the gate. So Hushai, David's friend, came to the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Now, verse, chapter 16. Now, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, there's our guy from chapter 9, a servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of saddle donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. The king said to Ziba, why do you have these? By the way, notice that Ziba is giving, is offering David stuff that's really not his. It belongs to his master, Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever's faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where's your master's son? Listen to what Ziba says. And Ziba said to the king, behold, he stayed in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. <laughs> he lied. He lied. He lied and said, Mephibosheth stayed in Jerusalem because he's going. he's thinking he can take over now. All right, let's read ahead. Let's go to another portion here that will help us with this. Um, uh, look at 1924. Okay. Then Mephibosheth, okay, when David's coming back, being restored as king, David goes to Mephibosheth and said, Why, did you, why didn't you come with me? Here's what Mephibosheth says, 19.24. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. By the way, imagine that in your head. <laughs> it was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Oh, my lord, the king, my servant deceived me. Who's the servant? Ziba. Uh... For your servant said, Mephibosheth said, I'll saddle a donkey for myself that I might ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what is good in your sight. Mephibosheth says, Ziba threw me under the bus. Not a good guy. So did Ziba keep his promise? No. Did David? Oh, yeah. I, I love that 
imagery, probably the first time I ever uh, contemplated this story a lot, was a um, hundred years ago. You know, I'm like 102, but um, I heard Chuck Swindoll talk on this passage. And he really depicts what happened at the dinner table at, in David's palace. You had uh, David the king, and by then um, the, the reigning queen, or the, the ranking queen, I guess I should say, was probably Bathsheba. Her boy, Solomon, was at the table probably reading a book. He's smart. There are others. Absalom was sitting there combing his hair and looking in the mirror. They're getting ready to eat, and the door opens, and you hear kathunk, 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 kathunk. Mephibosheth. Considered as a, more or less as a son of the king, eats every day at the king's table. Did, did David keep his word? Oh, yes. Why? Because of Mephibosheth's dad. Anything that ever happens to you good in your life, this is an easy reference. Anything that ever happens to good, good to you in your life is because of your father. This is so true of me in so many ways of my earthly dad. Because of his dad, David kept his promise to Mephibosheth and to Jonathan. So, I want to leave you with one little thought for us to apply as we kind of finish up today. Do you like being right? You know, there's sometimes when I even argue with somebody and I'll just say, you know, you're wrong. And, here's the, and then, then we'll just argue. It's just never settled. And I want to write them back or text them back or call them and say, okay, look at, look at the Wall Street Journal today. I told you I'm right. Okay? It, have you ever lived during a time when we more want to be right about whatever it is? Are you a Packers fan? I want to say, I'm right. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is not all that, but okay, never mind. In my haste to be right, don't forget to be kind. In your haste to be right, don't forget to be kind. Let me fill your last blank. According to Paul's writing in Galatians 5.22, we got to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Kindness. Did David have to be kind to Mephibosheth? No. Why was he? Because it was the right thing to do. And because of Mephibosheth's dad, whom he loved dearly, and because of his promise and his covenant with him. Now, next week, 
We're going to be, and I know you think I'm, there's no rhyme or reason to this. There actually is a rhyme or reason to it. We're going to talk another, about another aspect of judgment from Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, justice, from Deuteronomy 24. So if you want to read that chapter, maybe it'll help you kind of get ready to go. And we'll be back here. Be careful. Stay safe. I will see you next Sunday. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.